Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Let me hear this morning, even if I don't feel like it. All right, so this morning we are continuing on our Holy Spirit series. So today we are going to look at the vocal gifts when we talk about the, 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 the gifts of the Spirit, there's, there's three categories. There, there, are, there are gifts that do something. There are gifts that say something. And, and you know, all of these gifts have different functions. So you have, you have your three that say something, three that reveal something, and three that do something. So when we talk about the ones that say something, these are our vocal gifts. Okay, the ones that reveal something, these are our revelation gifts. Okay, and then things that do something, these are our power gifts. So I'm going to, you know, when we talk about, you know, the vocal gifts, the revelation gifts and the power gifts, we're going to focus a little bit more as seeing the vocal gifts as the mouth of God for the local church. You guys understand that, right? Because it's for everybody's edification. And if we hear words that come forth from people as the voice of God speaking into our life, we'll receive it. Did you know that there is no maturity level in which to be used by the Holy Spirit? And I think God will mess you up with that a little bit sometimes because he'll use somebody who is mat- not mature in the Lord and give a word, and then all of a sudden you get a heart shake. You're like, how in the world is God using that person? He's no respecters of, of persons, right? But he uses a, a, a person who is willing to be used by his Holy Spirit every single time. So today we're going to look at the vocal gifts, the mouth of God. So it is the will of the Holy Spirit for churches to operate as, the, as God's voice, as God's eyes, and God's hands. So when we go a little bit further, when we say the revelation gift, those are God's eyes seeing into the supernatural something. And then we, when we say the power gifts, we see those as the hands of God functioning through the individual to impact the lives of the church. What does it say that all of the supernatural gifts are what? Edification. Edification. You know, when, when these things are functioning correctly, we should leave the church encouraged. If you're discouraged, we didn't do it right. I'm just going to put it out there that way. You should not be, you know, you shouldn't be, be uh, you shouldn't feel condemnation. You shouldn't feel guilt. You shouldn't leave discouraged. You shouldn't leave with your head hanging low. You should be encouraged and edified in the house when the gifts of the Holy Spirit are being released in the house. The Holy Spirit does never, he never messes it up. Okay. So the gifts of the Spirit, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the New King James, it says it, it's always what? For the profit of all. Not just me, not just Becky, not just Lonnie, but for the profit of all of us. Hey, what's your phone doing, man? Was that when I was supposed to stop? So in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, it says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant. Right? And then if we look at 14, 1, it says, Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Right? So there has to be a desire for spiritual gifts. Now, some of us, when we talk about supernatural, how many know Halloween is right around the corner? When I use that word supernatural, we have been, you know, contaminated in understanding what it is and what it isn't. When I say supernatural, the normal person is not going to think that that is a godly Christian thing. 
They're going to think it's demonic, that it's cultish, that it's, that, oh, it's, it's evil, and therefore we tend to immediately be negative in regards to it just because of what we know, right? If I say, oh, we're a supernatural church, they think we're handling snakes and all kinds of craziness within the house. Like, oh, you're that sorcerer kind of church. You're a cult, man, this, you're supernatural. You know, we do not understand the basis for that word and it adds confusion. But I think that's why it's so important why the Lord says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Because if we're understanding of these things spiritual, it's not to be fearful of these things that are spiritual, but that we would just make sure that we welcome them in and we're open to them. Because there, there are, there are, I'm not going to lie to you, there, there are evil spirits and there are godly spirits. We are in a supernatural realm, whether if we want to acknowledge it or not. I know I can split the church maybe down the middle in regards to the belief systems of Halloween. What I am asking you to do is be led by the Spirit of God in regards to what you do and don't do. You hear me on that? If all of a sudden you say, man, I don't know about this, it's getting kind of wild, and you get a check in your spirit, man, get away from it. I think there is a balance to, you know, where it's not excessive, where, hey, your kids are, not, are dressing up like astronauts, or, hey, I want to be all, the, you know, like th- these, these things there, but it is a slippery slope for some people. But I think for each of you, you have to get to that place of personal conviction of what are you going to stand, what stance are you going to take, and then stick with it. You know, don't be people of tolerance that just say, well, everybody's doing it. I guess I will do it if God is telling you that's not for you. It's one of those personal conviction things, right? I could say that. I mean, we, we, could, we, could, we could get into all of these personal convictions. I could talk about alcohol. Oh, pastor, I'm leaving. Because I could say, hey, you drink, you go to hell by some people's way of thinking. Is that biblical? Absolutely not. But... If God tells me zero tolerance, no, it's not good for you. It's not, you know, uh, for, the, for the sake of your testimony, don't even touch it. Don't even be around it. That's above reproach to a biblical pattern. If you've really read the word, it says to drink, but not be drunk, to be clear minded, to be self-controlled. It has all of, there's all these Christian principles, but right, just like that. But I can be led by the spirit in regards to what I do and don't do being supernatural. It is a greatest gift of God. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to lead us and to guide us and to show us these things. Okay? So we don't have to be ignorant, that we need to uh, eagerly desire these gifts. So when we talk about the vocal gifts, we'll focus back on these. The vocal gifts consist of the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. So Pastor Noah, you're telling me we're talking about tongues. Absolutely. Tongues is one of the most controversial topics you will ever hear within a church communicated Now, people think, I think from the outside looking in, think that if we say we are spirit-filled with the evidence of speaking tongues or we practice speaking in tongues, they think we do it uncontrollably and we're completely out of control. But if you would look normally, like, and I feel like we do a very healthy, balanced job within our church, some of you this morning might say, man, I didn't even know you supported that because it's done in a way of order. And that's every, all through God's word. That's what it talks about, you know, that the, the church should be a place of order. So as we go through some of these passages, we have to understand that as Paul was giving guidance to the church in regards how to function in tongues, how to function in prophecy, you have to understand that at those times, the church looked like a zoo. It was out of control. It was not healthy. People were not being edified. Everybody was speaking in a tongue, doing whatever they want. It was kind of lawlessness, and no one was leaving edified. 
Nobody was leaving encouraged. If anything, everybody was being discouraged, and it was mass confusion, and it was unhealthy. Okay, so we have to understand that as we pursue these things of the Spirit, that we do them according to a biblical pattern, but we have, the, we have these measuring sticks, right? Did I leave edified? Did I leave encouraged? Was it something that benefited us all? Because if all of a sudden from this moment forward, I were to speak in tongues the rest of the service, and then at the end I said, amen, everybody, all of you would look at me and say, that didn't edify me all. What was the point of that? And that's exactly what Paul was saying. It does not benefit the whole, therefore it should not be allowed within the church. Okay, so we're going to look at some of these. We're going to look at prophecy first, then we're going to look at tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And we're going to go through this kind of quickly. Um, so when we, let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. Chapter 14 is really going to be the, the, the chapter that highlights all of it. Uh, like I always do, I encourage you after the service or if you've never read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 all the way through, when we are done, go back and read it, please. You know, evaluate your thoughts, make sure that your thought process in regards to tongues and prophecy is aligned with Scripture, not just my opinions or the church's opinions or other people's opinions, right? So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. I'm going to kind of jump around so we don't read the whole context, but I'm going to cover the, the nuts and bolts of all of it. So 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He, under, he utters mysteries with his spirit, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening. You guys listen to this, these requirements. Strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Himself. Okay, so look at some of these key words as we read through this. He edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. So then he says, he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue. So some of us stop right there and we say, oh, well, prophecy is the key. We got to pursue prophecy. But we go on a little bit further. It says, he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless. So there's a condition to where it says, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Okay, verse 6, it says, Now, brothers, I, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Now, I'm going to jump to verse 9. It says, So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air, undoubtedly. There are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. Um, if, if then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and he, who, who is a for, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. So, so it's saying the gifts that edify and build up the church, focus on those, desire those. Verse 13, it says, For this reason, anyone who, pray, who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. I'm going to stop there and pause just for a minute. So when that passage says, when you speak in a tongue, pray that you also might interpret. God does not want us being people of ignorance and not knowing. So what does that mean? If I'm praying maybe in my prayer language, do you mean that, you know, Noah, you mean that God can reveal to me what I'm praying in the spirit? Absolutely. 
We should pray that we might interpret what is being prayed. And when we, when we use it for a corporate edification within the church, it is required that it be interpreted. So let's keep going. Verse 14. It says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So this is what I do. I will pray in my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can the one who finds himself along those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? Okay, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. So if you don't know what's going on, it can't help you. It, it, there's no way for you to benefit from it. You will not be edified. Okay, verse 18, it says, and this is what Paul says. He's, and I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul was an advocate in, in speaking in tongues. He did speak in tongues. It wasn't that he was condoning it or saying it wasn't allowed. He says, in fact, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Verse 19, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's a pretty drastic ratio, isn't it? <laughs> he says, I would rather just speak a few things in, in something that you understand than a, a thousand words, 10,000 words in something you don't understand. Let's go to verse 26. And we covered this last week, so I'm going to kind of paraphrase a little bit. You know, it talks about order in worship, you know, so that uh, when, when you come together, let me just read it. When, when, what then shall you say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word or instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Here's the criteria for any of these functioning within the church. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church. And speak to himself and God. You know, that passage really challenged me this week because if it says, if there is no interpreter, okay? It's one of those things that it questions. If, if, it's, if there is no interpreter, what should I do? I should be silent. I shouldn't speak in a tongue unless there is an interpreter, right? Let's keep looking. It says, uh, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is being said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker, speaker should stop for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. That verse 32 says that we are in control of our spirit so you can stop at any time and then continue on. Verse 33, it says that God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Let me finish with 39 and 40 of that same chapter. Verse 39, it says, Therefore, my brothers, be, eagerly to, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So should we be a church that condone, condones tongues? No. He says allow it. But what is the criteria? Everything must be done in order. It has to be done in a biblical model. It has to be done in a way that edifies all, that encourages. Okay, so we look at the word. Let's, let's jump right into the word prophecy. So prophecy is the most important of the three vocal gifts. The reason being, it does not need to be interpreted. Let's say I, I, I feel like I, I'm going to speak a word in a tongue and there is no interpreter. Well, I have to have two people involved or one individual that has the interpretation also in order to be the equivalent of prophecy. 
Well, we have to understand that prophecy is equal to tongues and interpretation. They are equal, but prophecy is preferred because I don't have to have an interpreter. And I know one thing that would scare the living daylights out of me if God asked me to speak in a tongue and I don't know if there is an interpreter available. Now, my hopes would be if I am truly being led by the Spirit of God to speak in a tongue that the interpreter is in the house. Or else the Spirit of God would be, con, you know, would be trying to release us in a disorderly conduct, something that is really ultimately a violation to His Word. Right? So, so we need to make sure that you know, prophecy is something that should, should really be happening more often than not. You know, he talks about you know, eagerly desire that you may pr- prophesy, right? You know, so prophecy uh, is a supernatural gift released by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the receiver. A prophetic word is not based on natural knowledge or the, or the foreknowledge of what you know about a person. Right? It's not, it's, not a, it's not a revelation gift. It's just a, as a matter of fact, type of gift, and it is de- declaring God's word right now. So when we talk about word of wisdom, word of knowledge, those are things that look into the future, they look into the present, and maybe they reveal something in the past. But when we talk about a prophetic word, it is a here and now word that speaks the, the, the counsel of God out in a practical, real way. It is really declaring the word of God is what a prophetic word is. Okay, one thing that we need to realize that a, that a prophetic word is never going to give you direction or guidance. But what it should do, it should cause confirmation within your spirit. Okay? I'm trying to separate the two because we are going to look next week at the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and those are more specific saying, hey, I really feel in your life this is coming, or maybe you're going through this. Hey, I feel like you've been through this. That's a word of knowledge. That's a word of wisdom. When we say prophecy, that should just be a reaffirming what God has already spoken to your heart by the word of God and in a line with the word of God. A prophetic word should never, ever, ever violate the Word of God. The Word of God is the basis for everything. You know, so if we ever have a word or something that comes out that is contrary to the Word of God, I would almost, which I guess we'd have to do this in a fitting manner, but I would almost want you to stand up and say, blasphemy, that's not right, because in the Word of God it says this. But at the same time, we need to be cautious what we're communicating, making sure before we say anything that it is aligned to the Word of God. How do we do that in a healthy way? Let's say you feel like you need to share something. You say, man, I feel like I have this prophetic word. One of the best ways we can filter that, you come to the elders or you come to me or you work through leadership. Because we kind of will help govern and dictate and say, hey, yeah, we think that's right on. Go for it. And then there'll be boldness. They'll become saying, all right, man, the elders are with me. They feel like that's the word. It's in line with the word of God. Let's go for it. And if it's done correctly and it is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it does function as a gift of prophecy, what happens? Everyone will be edified. Everybody will be encouraged if it functions properly. Second Peter one twenty one. it says, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried or moved along by the Holy Spirit. So we have to understand that prophecy wasn't just something man-inspired. It was God-inspired by the power of His Holy Spirit flowing through us, Okay. So prophecy is a supernatural speaking or an utterance in our primary language. So if you were to prophesy, guys, it would be English. For some of you, it may be Spanish, but not for me. 
right? It would, it would not be. It would be in a language that you already know. It wouldn't be in an unknown language. The only reason I clarify that, because when we start talking about tongues, tongues are an unknown language to the speaker, okay? So that's the only reason I'm dividing. So you're like, why are you even bringing that up? Because I want us to be very clear that prophecy is always spoken in a language that we know for the edification of all, and we should all be encouraged and edified every time that gift is released in the house, it should be aligned with the Word of God, and it should be tested by the elders and the leaders of the church, the prophets. All of these things should be functioning in order for the full church to be edified. Amen? Trying to hurry. So the definition of prophecy is a supernatural utterance in a known language. So this is not conceived by human thought or reasoning. It's spoken under the authority of God to edify, encourage, strengthen, and comfort. So that's the criteria. So if at the end of the service you say, man, that, no, that really just didn't comfort me. Now we have to realize, was that really the gift of prophecy or was I just preaching the word? Because if I'm fun functioning in prophecy, you should be encouraged. But I can guarantee you, I can find something in this word that's going to challenge you and you might not feel comforted. But we have to understand that prophecy is not preaching. It's not, it's not teaching. It's a prophetic, it's a, it's a specific gift. That doesn't mean that I can't for a moment prophesy, but my preaching is not a gift of prophecy. We've got to be able to separate the two. Whenever it's operated in that function, in that gift, you'll always be edified, encouraged, strengthened, and comforted. All right? So the word prophecy in the Old and the New Testament, this is really cool. I'm going to try to cruise through this as quick as I can. So it means to bubble up, to flow like a fountain, to bubble over, to gush, or to pour forth words, to speak forth the mind and counsel of God. So when I read this definition, I was like, man, you know what that really, really sounds like? And then I turned to John 7, 37 through 30, 39. It said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water, a bubbling up, a bursting forth, something in me that I cannot contain coming outside of me, it will begin to flow from within him. And then 39, it says, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive because up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. But today... Jesus has been glorified. His Holy Spirit has been poured out, and we can all function in these supernatural gifts. Did you hear me say all? The only prerequisite for, for, for uh, operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to be empowered and the Holy Spirit released within you. You have to be saved for that? Absolutely. You know, be like, hey, I can do whatever I want, because think about this. I'll give you a quick nugget. You guys know the scripture where it says they go to heaven and they're pleading with God. And they say, say but, but Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we, not do all, did we not heal the sick in your name? But yet they did not know. He did not know them. So there's still authority and there's power. But what is the key ingredient that was missing? The relationship with the Lord. So, and I think that's how sometimes we can work backwards. We can see these supernatural things by the authority and power of God still functioning, but they're intended to be used by those who believe, right? That's, that's, you know, to me, that has always been the scariest scripture because we can be functioning these things and yet not know God. 
Lord, help me never go that route, but help me to know God and then function in these gifts. I want to have my life in order rather than just assuming, oh, look, God's blessing me. God's doing this. Look what he did by the power and the authority of who he is rather than flowing out of my knowledge of knowing who he is. Okay? So we see the Holy Spirit being poured out. So the gift of prophecy came through the power of the Holy Spirit being released in us through his gift flowing through us. So we have to understand how this function works. It's always the, the, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a now gift. It's something we use right now. So the gift of prophecy will never bring criticism, condemnation, judgment, or confusion upon the church. It's, intent, it's, it's not intended to rebuke or a foretelling of the future. It's not saying, hey, you know, I really perceive that this is what's... That, those are more words of knowledge, words of wisdom, right? So it, I want to keep it very narrow for the focus of focusing just on prophecy. We'll kind of unravel it a little bit later. So... Um, You know, so the gift of prophecy, it's speaking the mind and word of God. It's not preaching the gospel. Uh, It's not intended for direction or guidance. It's a confirmation of of your spirit, not a revelation. Okay? Um, So, you know, Paul says, man, desires spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. So if if he says eagerly desire it, it has to be something that's achievable, guys. It has to be. Why would he say desire it, uh, pursue it? If it wasn't achievable, it wouldn't be, right? It wouldn't have even been worth putting on the pages of the Bible if it wasn't something that we could attain, okay? So we have to understand, you know, just because you operate in the gift of prophecy does not automatically make you a prophet. Church is real easy to be like, oh, he, he operates in the, in the prophetic or, you know, he, he gave a word of prophecy. Hey, call him a prophet. Do you guys know what the criteria of a prophet is? Yes, no. Okay, it, it is functioning simultaneously in multiple functions of gifting. So that means I might function in prophecy, a word of knowledge, and a word of wisdom. I am functioning in a handful of the gifts simultaneously. And at that point, hey, we'll deem you as a prophet in the house. But just because you move in the prophetic or God asks you to bring a word of prophecy does not make you a prophet. I'm not saying that to discourage you, but just know, hey, I'm a prophet now. I start calling me Prophet Noe. No, I just functioned in the gift of prophecy. That does not make me a prophet within the house, but God is placing prophets in the church. And you say, man, I can't keep it straight. I have three or four gifts always bubbling out of me. What is up with that? Because it says one will do this and one will do this and one will do this. Well, I got three. Perhaps God is building you to be a prophet in the house and you don't realize it. A lot of this context of what I'm wanting to share is, is just so that when we have the opportunity to function in one of these, we're not fearful, we're not unlearned, and that there is no confusion. Because I feel like at this moment, if somebody were to prophesy now, we'd be a little bit more comfortable with it because we understand what it is. Now, we would have that check mark saying, right, oh, does this edify? Yep, it edifies. Does it encourage? Oh, yeah, it encourages. Oh, Lonnie just rebuked me. That's not a prophetic word. We go through the criteria or, hey, say, oh, that wasn't biblical. Go back. I was this, you know, discard what you just heard. But I feel that when we are being led by the spirit of God and we trust God and we walk humbly, guys, we're going to get it right more than we get it wrong. Because if you are prideful and arrogant, God will not allow you to function within the house as he desires. But those who humble themselves in fear of who God is and say, Lord, if you're willing Use me. 
Lord, only let me speak what you ask me to speak. Help me not to get my own mind in the way or my own ignorance, but let your word go forth. Perhaps at that moment, God will really, really release you to work in the gift of prophecy. All right, so let's move along. These last two, we're going to kind of cover them quickly. So the, the second of the three vocal gifts is the gift of different kind of tongues, okay? So we have to know that, you know, there are multiple types of languages that function through the gift of tongues. Um, so just to give you some, some criteria, so, you know, speaking in tongues has nothing to do with your mind or the intellect of man. It's not something that you, just, that you have learned, that you have went to school to learn. It's not a second or third language that you have learned. Okay, it is, a, it is truly a vocal miracle is what it is. You know, so different kinds of tongues, it's a supernatural utterance or something spoken in an unknown tongue. So the only time that tongues should be used in the church for edification is if there's an interpretation. Okay, that is the only time it should function in a corporate setting in a way that everybody hears, in a way that, like, if, if right now, like, in an audible, like, if I started speaking in tongues right now, I better as heck have an interpretation for it. It would not be healthy for me to sit up here. So one thing I, I do want to make sure that we understand a little bit clearer. There are two references to tongues in the Bible. So one is for church edification. One is for personal edification. So God gives, you know, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we see in Acts that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately they began to speak with other tongues. Now, the, the ones that were standing by heard them speaking in their native tongue. And there was, a, there was a, a, it was a cultural hub of all kinds of different languages. And they even yelled at them and said, man, are these guys drunk? What are they doing? But yet we hear them in our own language declaring the praises and goodness of God. Amen. So at that moment, they were what was released in them was their personal prayer language for their personal edification. And at that moment, it was almost like this uncontainable moment, but yet it was used for what? that the unbeliever may be encouraged. So if you go back and read that 1 Corinthians 14, you'll see that in there. It says that the, that the, 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 it, the tongues is for the unbeliever. I always got that mixed. I was like, how the heck are tongues for the unbeliever? If I'm an unbeliever and I see tongues, I'm running the other way. But if I start speaking in tongues under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and I'm speaking perfect Spanish, you know it's of God because <laughs> I can't do that. Say, man, I didn't know your pastor was bilingual. He didn't know either. But that is where it is for the unbeliever and that you hear the praises of God and it brings encouragement and edification, right? So we have to understand that there always has to be interpretation, but there is a, there is a moment for personal prayer language. There are so many passages talk about praying the Spirit to build yourself up. In that passage, it says, he who speaks in a tongue, what? Edifies who? Himself. So we have to separate the criteria. There are tongues for our own personal edification, which should not be confused with the gift of tongues, which is used for corporate edification. And what we want to do, I'm going to, oh, I'm just praying real loud. It's like, oh, do we need to interpret that? No, no, he was just being unbiblical and he needs to calm it down because it's not living a, it's not supporting a church of order and balance. You know, I talked with a, my pastor in Dallas. Have you guys heard of churches where they say, okay, hey, everybody for a moment, and I'm not discrediting any church. Hey, let's all pray in our prayer language for a little bit. Or they just open it up. Now, there might be moments for that in a prayer meeting or a smaller setting, 
But let me tell you guys where the criteria changes. Soon as we are in a corporate setting where someone is not being edified, we cannot do that. And almost every single time within a corporate setting, even within this church, guys, there might be somebody here who is not okay with that, and therefore we have to be a church of order. You guys understand that? Because we can get to a mass confusion on the other side. But we've got to make sure that we are a, a, a church of balance and a church of order. Teach their own. Some I know are on the hyper-excited side. Some are on the, the like, are you even alive side. Like, come on. <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> are you with me? We have to have balance, guys. I want it to be healthy. I want it to be where everyone is edified, everybody is encouraged. If you leave confused and discouraged and, and not uplifted, then we're doing it wrong. Okay, so I think we'll see that all through that, that chapter 14 when you read through it. Um, so we have to understand, you know, that uh, the gift of tongues is for people, but our prayer language is for the person. It's a personal, it's a devotional gift that God has given us. So the definition of gift of tongues, okay? So it's speaking out a Holy Spirit-inspired message in an unknown tongue, a language unlearned by the speaker in a gathering and it is accompanied with the gift of interpretation of tongues. It, it, it's a two-for-one special, guys. We cannot separate the two and be okay with that. Okay? So I'm going to go right into the definition of gift and in, of interpretation. So notice that I say here, when I say interpretation, I'm not saying translation. You know, I know if you guys were, were, were here a few weeks back when we had our missionary, uh, Abel was translating for Pastor Luna. Well, Pastor Luna may say this huge, long sentence, and, he, and Abel may just say, well, he's just not real happy about that. And we're like, well, he just said like 20 things. Yeah, but what he was really saying was he's just not real happy about that. Whole bunch of words, a whole bunch of, you know. If you ever heard somebody talking in Spanish who's mad, that's probably the gist of it. You know, I remember my grandpa, he always switched back and forth, you know. I think, I think when he was cussing, he'd talk in Spanish. Because he wouldn't know, and I started asking, what's that word mean? Oh, you don't need to know that word. Well, you said it. Ah, don't tell your grandma. Like, so when you have all those context clues, what's being said. But in essence, when I say just a, you know, an interpretationist, man, he was just not real happy. But every single word was not as critical. And I think that's what we need to take away. Anytime there's an interpretation of tongues, it is a interpretation. It is not a literal translation. Okay, because we may see that operate. Be like, man, he just said a whole bunch of stuff, and this guy come over there said the Lord is good and He lives and He reigns forever. Man, he just said a whole bunch, and that's what he's saying. He was just confused. He was nervous, and he was speaking in tongues too much, just like you do in your English language. Maybe you just kind of get fluttered, and all he really meant was this: short and sweet, to the point, keeping it simple, so that everybody might be edified. Amen. All right. So the gift of tongues or the interpretation, it says it's a God-given ability to speak in the language of the listeners, the meaning of the message spoken in tongues so that the church can be edified. So we have to understand that there's different kinds of tongues. You know, this is a plural form of the word. So, um, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 10, Paul says, undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. There are multiple languages all over. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Paul talks about, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Oh, man, you mean I could be praying in a prayer language that's angelic? Maybe. 
Who knows? You know, I think we just in faith have to understand that this is a God gift. This is something that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, and maybe one day God will reveal, man, you know what? What you were speaking was over here in this tribe, what tribal language over here in the middle of smack dab nowhere. Because it's a, it, is a, it is a language that we speak, guys. It is not just gibberish, but it is a language that is not known to us. Just like I said in that passage in Acts, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues, other people knew what they were saying. They just didn't realize it. So what should we do? Anytime tongues is spoken in our personal time and perhaps even in our corporate time, we should always be asking God for what our spirit is praying. I'll tell you one of the big things I do in my personal time of prayer. Pastors never run out of stuff to pray for. Just telling you that. But we do hit brick walls where we say, Lord, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to get to this. And just my personal way of how I practice it, man, I might be praying in the natural of what I know, and then I'll begin to pray in the Spirit. And this is okay because it's for myself. I'm not, I'm not asking you all to interpret. I'm not saying it loud where you're discouraged. This is for me because I need a breakthrough. I need guidance. I need God to show me what to do next. Well, I begin to pray in that Spirit, and then I believe that God shows me. He says, I pray in the Spirit, but I also pray with my understanding. Is what happens when I begin to pray in that Spirit language. I now know what I need to be praying, and then I switch back to English, and I declare the goodness of God, and I have the answer for what I need to be praying. So I don't always pray in the Spirit, but I pray in the Spirit, but I also pray with my understanding. And then when my understanding limits myself, I pray in the Spirit. And then once I pray in the Spirit and I get the wisdom and revelation of what I need to be praying, I pray back in, in, my, in my natural language. So it is this, this back and forth thing. But understand, guys, that type of process is for personal time, personal use only. Wouldn't be healthy to do it within the church. But there's many different languages. I'm sure if we all, you know, every time that we hear if one person operated in a gift of tongues and then somebody else and somebody else, I bet you, I can almost guarantee you every single time it would sound different. Have you guys ever heard other languages or other dialects? You can kind of be like, hey, that kind of sounds like French or you know what French sounds like or that's maybe German or, you know, I remember when I went to Brazil, all I had known was Spanish. Well, then Brazil, you know, which is Portuguese, I felt like Portuguese was kind of like a mesh between Spanish and French. Like it's just blending of these different languages. But I believe that, you know, as we each function in those gifts, that it's, we're going to hear a little bit different sound. And it, it perhaps and very well is probably a different language. It doesn't need to sound the same every time. Well, you didn't say it like so-and-so said it last week. That's because God gave me a different gift. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's him that gives, okay? Um... Gift interpretations, kind of start wrapping it up. So, you know, there's just a few thoughts that I have, you know, um, you know, the scripture says that one will speak, one will interpret, you know, uh, you know, when I read this, you know, my, I immediately kind of want to go to that, that thing of where if I speak in a tongue, maybe Morgan gives the interpretation. Because in my mind, I've always thought, well, if I speak in tongues and I get the interpretation, why the heck would I even speak in tongues? Why don't I just wait for the interpretation and then just prophesy? To me, I think that there, there can be this dangerous balance of this arrogance or this prideful vein of, look, hey, I got to function in tongues and I got to function in the interpretation and it's all about me, myself and I and y'all have a good day. But how I see God establishing these gifts in the house, it says to one I give this, to one I give this, and one, do I, one I give that. 
But perhaps if nobody is willing to be bold and speak in the house, maybe God might have to use me for both because of my willingness. And I think we see that more often than not, and that is scary to me. Because what you don't want is somebody to boldly speak out in a tongue because they feel inspired by the Holy Spirit that this is a gift. And then after the service, somebody come up to me and say, Pastor Noe, I heard exactly what he said. I knew what he was saying, but I was too scared to say it. And you had the interpretation. Because we're not functioning like we're supposed to. So this really breaks down the system because the person that was doing it in obedience was obedient, but then the next part of the picture wasn't obedient. So it made the first guy look completely foolish. Do you think that we left edified and we left encouraged that day? Because what happens is when that doesn't happen, Lonnie or me, we'd have to come and say, all right, guys, let's read what the Bible says. If there is no interpretation, it is better for you to be silent because we need to teach also. We just don't need to be like, well, he can say it. Hey, nobody to interpret it. Who cares? No, we really care. Now, at that moment, if you got the word, I expect you to say, oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. I wasn't bold. I wasn't confident. This is what he said. And you speak it out in faith. Because I believe that is how God wants these to function together. Can he use the same person? Yep, if nobody else wants to be used. Is it preferred? Possibly not. Because I think he wants all of us being a part, part of the big picture. So just be reminded, it's an interpretation. It's not a translation. Um, and, and I believe that if somebody, if somebody is being encouraged to speak a word in a tongue... God has the interpretation within the house or it'll be just foolishness and lawlessness. Okay, so in closing, I want to give you guys quick five, quick five hindrances that prevent us from moving in the gifts. And this is across the board. This is a quick little practical sense. We're going to fly through these, okay? Um, so number one, lack of knowledge. I hope we're helping you with that, that it's not that we aren't educated, that we don't know, that we don't know what's going on. So today, if, if, you're, if, there, if you're, you are working out the lack of knowledge just by being here listening to this message today, but one of the, one of the main hindrances, just a lack of knowledge. I didn't know if it even existed, okay? Secondly, lack of desire. So we can, we can, we can battle this by desiring spiritual gifts, just like Paul said, desire these spiritual gifts. We might not understand them, but you know, if we trust God, who gave the Holy Spirit, then we can trust the Holy Spirit that gives the gifts. And we got to be okay with that because God gives good gifts to his kids every single time. So by, by battling lack of desire, we can eagerly desire those gifts. Number three, lack of faith. You know, sometimes it's just doubt and unbelief will be the blockage, right? We just don't believe in it or we're like, hey, I'm a Christian, but no, this stuff is wild. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I think we're just don't really realize, you know, what it is. There's a lack of faith. I don't believe in it. I don't trust it. Romans 12, 6, it says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. It's a faith issue. If I have a lack of faith, I will probably have a lack of action within the house. If I have an abundance of faith, you're probably going to see me go place hands on those who are sick. You're going, to be, you're going to see me believing for salvation. You're going to be seeing me believing for the, the, the power gifts to function within my life because of my level of faith. So a lack of faith. Number four, spirit of fear. Guys, this is a huge one, right? You know, especially the fear of man. What will people think if I get up and say something? 
What if I miss it? What if I don't do it right? What if I stutter? What if I say it wrong? Man, I would rather you, you, rather you try and succeed than, never, than, not, than not try at all. All right? Swing for the fence. All right? 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. He's built us to be confident. Number five, and I think this, this is another big one. Five hindrances preventing us from moving in the gifts. Feelings of unworthiness. I know when you hit that threshold, you've made one or two thoughts about yourself. Man, I better sit in the back because I shouldn't even be here today. Or you come in here boasting in who God is and the goodness that he's done in your life. And you say, oh, man, I'm allow- I-, I am allowed to be in this house because I'm a son of the king. With a confidence, we boldly come. But I think that when we come into a church, sometimes we, have, we, we, we kind of fall into one of those two categories. I can't say anything. I'm not valuable. I can't say anything. I can't speak. I can't function in these gifts like Noe's saying. You have to realize that every single one of those things, that is the voice of the enemy speaking over to your life. And I think at that moment, you just got to stop and say, uh-uh, in this house, the only spirit I hear is the spirit of the Lord. So I silence the voice of the enemy. You know, when we pray over the service, we pray for that. Some of you may say, I don't understand how the heck I hear God so good at church. That's because we've prepared the atmosphere where the, whole, where the devil is not allowed in this place. When you cross this threshold, you're under new territory. And it's important, guys, for you also to proclaim that territory within your homes, within your workplace, within your vehicles. And make sure that you understand that you control that sometimes, right? It has a special nugget for somebody. 1 Corinthians 1, 5 through, 5 through 7, it says, For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. You do not lack any spiritual gift. You've got an opportunity to grab that and believe that. Or you can leave the same way you came and say, pity me, poor me, I've, not me. You can't use me, God. I have every spiritual gift available to me. You guys stand up with me this morning. We'll get out. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.